The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. We are on to episode 89, making us 11 away from the big century mark here, the big 100. Chad, are you are you starting to feel the number 100? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, some like numbers, like the magic number they do for baseball teams. I'm gonna put some numbers up on my wall and just pull one down every time we record. Yeah. Ten to go, nine to go. <laughs> yeah, we can get like some crowd noise filtered in there too. That'd be that'd be awesome. Oh yeah. Number 89 is is going to be one of my least favorite topics, and that is relief pitchers. I play oh, in come a on. Lot Everybody of... loves relievers. Oh, They're the best. God, it's, it's agonizing. There's no correct answer. If you think the correct answer is saves plus holds, you're wrong. <laughs> um, but is the answer just saves in general? I don't know. That's it's, it's my favorite of all of the options. But rather than do our top tens, Chad and I are going to talk about guys that we just seem to uh, keep ending up with. Huh, Chad? Yeah, I mean, I, that's I think it makes sense, right? Because the top ten, first of all, we, you know, we, we always do our top tens. We're trying to think keeper leagues, right? And the reality is, I don't have a top ten for keeper leagues for relievers. I just want good relievers now. I want the guys who are going to like whatever my strategy is for this particular league at this time. Like, you know, other than those rare cases, like we talked about with the listener league, that like I drafted Liam Hendricks late. He's really good, and I can stash him and. He's cheap right now, and if it turns out he doesn't come back or doesn't want to come back or comes back and isn't the same, I'll cut him, whatever. But like, I'm not doing things like, oh, maybe I'll take Alexis Diaz a little higher than I would in redraft because he's going to be a keeper for me. Like, That's just, just not how I think about relievers at all. So when I sat down to like, what would be my top 10? I was like, eh, I don't even care. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the same. You know, last year we, we made our top tens and they were very similar. And it was clearly like no difference between our keeper leagues and yeah. um, our, our redraft. So that's totally the move. But before we get even into relief pitchers, I figure we might as well start with news. We have had a lot of news. Unfortunately, a lot of it has been unfortunate news, particularly injuries to more well-known players. I had to make a, a, a big cut in our shared Ot new league the Fangraphs staff, but I am not a member of the staff league where I've been holding on to Brendan Rogers. So even though he's maybe uh, the least exciting of all of those, why don't we start with that one, Chad? Brendan Rogers left shoulder dislocation 
that they thought at first was going to be okay. Uh, it turns out it's actually pretty bad. And if folks remember, Brendan Rodgers is somebody who's had basically his entire career to this point. He's only 26 years old, derailed by shoulder injuries, but they were really all to his right shoulder. So he had a torn labrum in his right shoulder in 2019. He had surgery on it. And then in 2020, he had a right capsular strain. I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. It's such a crazy word to me. There are capsules in our shoulders. Okay. In 2020. So Chad, thoughts on the news and, you know, Nolan Jones, former Cleveland guardian there, a lot of power all of a sudden could be walking into a platoon situation with El Urus Montero. So any interest in yeah. those two names and thoughts on Brennan Rogers? So starting with Rogers, I mean, like, you sort of already said it, but the only real thing to feel right now is like, it just sucks for him. Like he had a pretty good year last year and he looked like maybe this was like, this is it. Maybe he can put together a full season everything, and just lost already from a, from a fantasy perspective. He, I don't even know that he's like a guy I'm excited about stashing because he just, you really only can use him at home and you don't know what you're going to get from him. So he's not like a guy that like, I don't know, like another middle infielder that we've talked about a lot is Trevor Story. Like if you stash Trevor Story right now, at some point he comes back and he's either going to be Trevor Story and you'll be thrilled you stashed him or he's not and you move on. But like if Brendan Rodgers comes back and he's Brendan Rodgers, that's just like, okay, it's a, like a totally solid middle infield guy you use when he's at home. And it's just not that, there's just not that much, I don't know, there's not that much to stash. And so... You know, there are leagues. I'll be honest. I have to look in uh, where you cut him in that staff league. That's a league where Niv and I co-manage. We have like $88 of cap space or something. When he goes on the 60-day IL, we may pick him up because like, why not? Right? At that point, he's, he costs us literally nothing to stash. We have so much cap space. You won't fine. But I don't know. I like Even in a league where I have like three IL spots, I don't know that I want to use one of them on him. So... That's that's unfortunate. In terms of other players being impacted, it sounds like Ryan McMahon is going to take over at second base. That is that's wonderful for his long term value. I know in Otto New he's already second base eligible, so it's not going to change anything for this year. But you had to wonder if he was going to have any shot at keeping it for the future. That's that's basically a given now. He'll at least get those those five starts in for Otto New. Um, but in a lot of other formats, he'll earn second base, which is going to be really really useful for him. Which then opens up third base, as you mentioned. They got you know Nolan Jones, who they just picked up from Cleveland, who'd been converted to the outfield, but is a natural third baseman. They've got Elahuris Montero. They have Chris Bryant on the roster, so I, I don't know if he gets some consideration at third base. Like I don't know what they're going to do. Put and him in a bubble. Put him in a bubble. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no third base for Bryant. Well, and on top of everything else, like it's the Rockies. Right. So like, you don't know, like the Dodgers, I'm sure we're going to get to Gavin Lux, but like Gavin Lux goes down and you're like, what are the Dodgers going to do? Well, the smart thing to do is take the really good defensive shortstop. They just traded for him and make him their shortstop and then like work some stuff around there. But like, okay, I can assume the Dodgers are going to do the smart thing. The Rockies, it's like, even if I know what I would do or what I think a team should do, who knows what they might do? They could do anything. So I, yeah, I have, I have no expectations there. As for those guys, if I was going to grab one of them, I think Jones is the one I am most interested in. He'd be the he'd be the big side of the platoon. He has legitimately game-changing power. Like the guy can smash a baseball. And his problem is his strikeouts. So, and if I if I remember correctly, I think I just saw that his spring 
training numbers. He has like, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to track all those stats. But the point is that like, you're going to, you're going to have to expect him to, you're going to have to expect him to strike out a lot. He should walk a decent amount. So you, you at least get that with it, but he's going to strike out a lot and he should hit for some good power. So, you know, late in drafts, cheap power from a guy who could be third base and outfield eligible. I, I'm I'm sort of intrigued by that. So yeah, as of right now, he has 15 at bats. He has walked once. He's got 16 plate appearances, seven strikeouts, and a walk for Nolan Jones. So wow. the power hasn't shown up yet either. So it, he the, this is the other issue with him. And this is why when I said I'm not really that excited about any of these guys, it would be Jones. But I don't know what the Rockies are going to do. I don't trust them. Jones is not running away with this job. Like if Jones were, if he were like five for 15 with two home runs and four or five strikeouts instead of seven, I might be like, okay, he's, he's going to take this job. And at least that's something I can, but he's not really doing that. And at this point, I, I don't know. I just don't know what to expect. So I'm, I'm for the most part staying away from that situation I have in some auto new leagues and deeper formats. Like I picked up Nolan Jones a couple of places, but I was doing that before. Like this hasn't changed a ton for me just because I just don't know how much, I don't know how much it actually changes his timeline, even though maybe it should. Yeah. I think at the very least it doesn't hurt it. Right. I think if you have any interest in Nolan Jones in your auto new leagues, I would put him up for auction right now because as a manager, if I saw that somebody had kind of beat me to the punch and nominated Nolan Jones. I'm not going to go $2 on him. I'd, I'd maybe throw a speculative dollar, but I think that person who nominates him for a dollar is probably going to end up with him And the window might be now because if the Rockies do say like, you know what, we are going to go with Nolan Jones as our strong side platoon at third base. Well, all of a sudden he, he might actually go for two, $3. So um, if you do have interest for him or in him, I'd throw the dollar out right now. And I'm with you on Rogers. I don't think, in, in, if you have limited IL spots, there's no way I'm holding on to him. Yeah. I feel like his his keeper price also isn't going to be that great unless you just pick him up off free agency. Like he's 80, 80p in the 250s. And I think going into last season, or go, yeah, going into last season, he was like a top 200 picker, kind of close to it. He's kind of like an upside dart throw late in drafts, so, or late ish in drafts, I guess. Um, so I don't think his keeper value is good enough. And unfortunately, he needs to go. And you're right. When he's played, it hasn't really been that amazing not to kick a guy while he's down but uh he has not lived up to that top five top 10 yeah. prospect status that he had so yeah, let's one, dive into real the... quick real quick note on yeah. on auto new auctions just to make sure we're clear on this so in season auction so in if you're if you're if your league auction hasn't happened yet your annual auction hasn't happened yet i think that's where you're right like if you're the one who nominates nolan jones there's a decent chance you get him for a buck before anybody's willing to bid two in season, like if your auction is over and you're doing like a free agent pickup nomination for Nolan Jones, until the season starts and there are standings, the tiebreaker is a basically a, a random draw. So if I nominate Nolan Jones for a buck and you also bid a buck and someone else also bids a buck, it's going to basically you know draw lots <laughs> and like the, the computer will pick a number at random. And assign him to someone. So if you're looking at him and someone else nominated him and you're like, eh, I wouldn't go to $2 anyways, like put a buck on him because first of all, if that other person who nominated him bids two or three or something like that, by putting a dollar on him, you force them to bid a little more or pay a little more. And second, you might 
win the lottery. So you might get him for a buck. So that's that's perfect context. Yes, I I didn't even know that, and I've been playing out new now going into my third season. So definitely valuable information there for Nolan Jones, especially if he ends up getting that job. So let's dive into the the injuries that uh, the news items, injuries, whatever you want to call them. I'll take the positive spin. We'll call them news items that uh, I think have more fantasy implications. And we'll go from like lowest drafted player to, to highest drafted player here. And so we're going to start with Gavin Lux. Devastating injury. It was tough to watch. Towards ACL, he's going to be out for the season. There was a lot of hype on Gavin Lux going into the season this year, or going into spring training, I should say. I drafted him in our listener league number one, and I reached for him. I was kind of excited about him. He'd gone to driveline and added about six miles an hour of bat speed, which basically took his like average bat speed from like single to home run territory. It was a massive, massive jump for, for Gavin Lux and something that was like really exciting and, and something to keep an eye on. Obviously, this injury now puts that on the back burner. You had mentioned earlier that they had signed a really good fielding shortstop, and he's probably going to be their everyday shortstop going forward. That's Miguel Rojas. Uh, roster resource has him slotted to bat ninth. I don't think there's anything to really get excited about there. I guess the the one like positive spin, not that there's any kind of positive spin for Gavin Lux, but Miguel Vargas, who I already figured was going to be just an everyday player this year, he is now thrust into a a like they they need bats which is crazy to say about the Dodgers but Miguel Vargas and his hairline fractured hand uh, I'm sure you saw that just went to the plate took a walk and he was told not to swing and everybody knew he wasn't going to swing yeah um but I guess a couple times it's it's, he's got like two walks in the last three days (laughs) let me just like the fact that it's publicly stated that he will not be swinging the bat the only thing I can assume is that pitchers facing him are like well, this is a good time to like work on my breaker. I'm just going to like yeah. throw my breaker. And like, if you can't locate it perfectly, who cares? You can't, you know, so, but it's very weird that it's weird enough that he's in the game that apparently whatever's up with his hand, he can't swing a bat, but fielding the ball is not a problem. He is not a natural second baseman. And so he's got to get used to that position. And I, I don't know. I'm the stepping away from fantasy for a second. The Dodgers feel vulnerable this year in a way they haven't for a long time. The lineup's not as good. They like, they've gotten away with some weird, I wouldn't say weird. They've gotten away with some unique defensive decisions, like having Muncie play up the middle and stuff like that, because they're very smart about how they position their fielders and stuff, but the shift's been taken away now. So like Vargas, who is a, he's a third baseman. He's played some outfield, like, We're just going to suddenly throw him in at second base and see how that goes. Uh, I don't know. I've got, I got some questions about the Dodgers, but yeah, from a fantasy perspective, I am more interested in stashing Lux than Rogers, but not a ton more. Lux feels a little bit more like there's breakout potential there than Rogers is just a little bit older. I think he's, I have a better sense of what he is. And he is sort of what he is. Whereas Lux, I think there's more a question of what he could be. So I'm, I, but, but I'm not like, I'm not rushing out to pick him up where he's being cut and stuff like that. I just, I don't know. He's not a guy that I'm like super excited or super intrigued by in terms of a, a stash for a whole year. I was excited to pick him up when he was healthy, but now I don't know. Rojas doesn't hit. I like, there's really nothing to see there. I, you know, the, the maybe interesting name out of this is Chris Taylor, who had such a bad year last year, but was obviously very good before that. And 
he's now the backup shortstop and the backup second baseman and the starting center fielder half the time or something like he's going to be all over the place. And especially if like, you know, let's see how Vargas takes the second base, but I think there's a reasonable chance that, that Taylor ends up sort of playing all over the diamond and playing pretty regularly. And if that happens, he, he's interesting. He's, he's, you know, a bounce back candidate. You're not, it's not a, Oh, if he just does what he did last year and plays all these positions, we'll be happy. He needs to do more, but he's a decent bounce back candidate. He is. I, I would throw out there Michael Bush as well. He was my prospect to stash in our second base episode. He's 25 years old. I mean, he's almost Kevin Lux's age uh, for crying out loud, former first round pick. So I, I think he's going to have an opportunity to make the big league roster. He's got a better opportunity obviously now than he did before. And really that infield is another injury away from Michael Bush getting some, some pretty solid playing time. So he's a name to keep an eye on kind of a, uh, a forgotten about guy, first round pick. He had a great year last year at AAA. He's had some swing and miss issues, but um, Michael Bush, a name to keep an eye on. And in terms yeah. of Gavin Lux, yeah, I think I, I think I actually would try to stash him after that driveline stuff. But you won't be seeing him for a while. So we had two more injuries, both to starting pitchers. Um, we'll start with the lower again ADP player, and that was Tyler Glass. Now, just by a few spots, um, Tyler Glass. Now, pretty straightforward here. Oblique strain, six to eight weeks. It's a player who, however, is routinely injured. In our last episode, I threw out there what uh, Chris Welsh had said on Fantasy Baseball Today, kind of saying that Tyler Glass now is like the pitching version of Byron Buxton. And you and I both agreed that like maybe a little unfair and that I, we kind of expect more than Glass now, maybe pound for pound, better player, right? But now all of a sudden an oblique strain. So my question to you, Chad, is, well, first of all, any interest in Luis Patino who roster resource does not have listed as in the rotation. They have Yoni Chirinos, but who, whoever knows what the Rays are going to do for crying out loud. It could end up being, you know, Pete Fairbanks, who, who knows. <laughs> and then on the other hand, are you thinking, all right, this is maybe too many injuries for me. If Glass now is rehabbing and looking good and like maybe he has his final rehab outing throwing 100 miles an hour, are you ready to then send some trade offers out getting rid of Tyler Glass now? No, I still like... You know, how many innings were we realistically expecting out of him this year? 120, 130. Like, this lowers that for me, right? I, I Like, you know, I've heard a lot of people being like, oh, I expected an IL injury. Like, I expected an IL stint. So this is it. It just it's happening now. That's uh, that's not how it works, right? Like, if you thought he was likely to get hurt during the season, now he's hurt now. That shouldn't change how likely he is to get hurt later. If anything, it makes him more likely to get hurt later, right? So... I, I still think that there's going to be, you know, missed time. I still think, you know, if this took me from, if, if before I was thinking he might throw 150, like 150 innings max and 125 ish is a more realistic expectation. Now I might be closer to like 125, 130 is the max and 190 to 100 is the more realistic expectation. 90 sounds low. But there aren't that many picture, pitchers I expect to throw over like 150. And so 90 really is a, a decent chunk of a season. And if Glasnow is Glasnow, and the last we saw him at the end of last year, Glasnow was Glasnow, he, 90 innings of that is still super valuable. And so, you know, do I wish in the places I had him, I had spent less on him? Sure, because he's less valuable now than he was. But he's not a guy that I'm like anxious to get rid of. The concern here for me, and it's it's just obliques, 
Obliques are bad. They linger. They really mess with your ability to rotate your torso. I heard on rates and barrels, you know, Sarah saying that something like 25% of of fastball velocity is based on torso rotation. And I I did not know that. I, I don't know where that came from. I trust Eno implicitly, so I assume it's true. But like, that's concerning, right? Because he's going to have to work his way back and, and rebuild the strength in that core. So that kind of stuff, you know, short of like the forearm tightness leading to Tommy John, there's very little I like hearing less about a hitter or a pitcher than oblique. And so that that piece is concerning to me. But if he comes back and he's he looks good in his rehab and is working his way back, like, I'm just going to be excited to get him back. I'm not going to be looking to sell high. Interesting. And, and any thoughts there on Luis Patino? He's really only disappointed, but this is a guy who had 60 future value. According to fan graphs, he was a, he was a top prospect. I think he was the main piece in the, had to be the Blake Snell trade. I assume I can't recall, but his CSW went down each season so far since he's been in the major leagues. He's been hit hard. Just has disappointed. He really hasn't gotten a grasp in the major leagues quite yet. So this could be an opportunity for him. It is only his age 23 season. So is he a guy who, if you heard like he's competing for a rotation spot, is he somebody who you're going to start showing some interest in or are you you out on Luis Patino? He, he is, I would say, like a watch list guy for me. Now, I'm doing my first ever NFBC draft champions draft. And in 50 rounds of 15 teams with 750 players going, Patino is very much in my consideration set uh, because if he's going to be in the rotation, I haven't taken him yet. I'm sort of waiting to see what happens as long as I can before I make a decision on him. But like he's legitimately interesting. I just, I don't know anything shallower than that. I'm I'll wait and see if he, if they, you know, if he starts to look really good in spring and then there's chatter that he's going to get that spot. Then I start getting interested because the, the pedigree is legit. And there are some good signs. Like I'm looking at his his uh, pitcher list page. And like last year, his four-seamer was, had an above average chase rate. It had an above average zone percent. Like it had a slightly above average CSW. And that's a pitch he throws 45% of the time, right? So like he's got a foundation that isn't a total disaster. Now it gets hit hard. <laughs> the Woba off it was 451. <laughs> like there, there are real concerns there. It's not, it's not perfect by any means. And and by the way, the X Woba on that pitch was a 399. So like it's it's getting hit. But there's there's a reason he was so highly regarded. And so anytime you get a pitcher who's that highly regarded, who's still only 23, who a team like the Rays is is really still invested in, like if this were the Pirates giving him a fifth shot, I'd, I might be done. But there's a reason the Rays are still invested in him. Like there's just enough little nuggets there that make me feel like, okay, I could see it, but I want to be more confident that I'm going to not even going to use him because the reality is if he get like, let's say he gets that fifth spot and he's on my roster, I'm not starting him. Like He's not going into my lineups, but I want to know that, you know, two, three weeks into the season, I'm going to have 
real data of how he performs against real major league hitters quickly to make some decisions about whether I keep him or whether I move on. And so until I have a good sense that I'm going to get that, I'm just going to sort of watch. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a, a watch and wait and see. I like the idea of in a draft and hold league targeting him. I think for draft and hold leagues, I, I mean, I'm, I'm holding on to, I might be taking all these guys we've talked about, Patino, Bush, Nolan Jones. I think they're all pretty good targets. Patino needs to throw strikes, right? So, I mean, it's going to be pretty easy to tell this spring if he looks good or not, because if he's if the ball's landing in the strike zone, that could be uh, obviously a good sign for him going forward. I don't have a lot of glass now shares myself, so I I, I don't have to make that decision, but it, I, it would be pretty tempting. I'd at least, you know, like you would, I'm sure, field some offers on him and at least see what's out there. But um, I totally understand. Right. I'll totally understand holding on, though. And that takes us to our, our final major injury here before we go to break, and that is Joe Musgrove, who um, dropped a kettlebell on his big toe. I, now, I I know people were really upset with people suggesting this, but his ears looked weird in that outing last year. He had weird-looking ears, man. They were shining. <laughs> I could see the reflection of the dugout in the dude's ears, and all I'm thinking is that whatever was on his ears got on his hands, and the kettlebell slipped. slipped out of his hands. And fell on his foot. Now I don't. I don't mean to make fun. I took a risk <laughs> on Joe Musgrove because knowing he was hurt, I took him in TGFBI, uh, which I know you're, you're not doing this year. But I, I ended up taking him. I can't remember what round I grabbed him in. I can look that up right now. Joe Musgrove. Either way, I I, I got him in like the 130s. I'll find the exact spot in just a second, which felt like pretty good value because yeah. the timeline chat is four to six weeks, and we're. When he got hurt, when we got that timeline, we were like exactly 30 days out from the first game. He's a guy who obviously relies on mechanics like every other pitcher. So I get the concern that, okay, it's a it's a fracture in his foot. Like this, this could be something that really throws off his mechanics and hurts him all year. But I don't know. I like Joe Musgrove. It seems pretty small. It seems like we're far enough out from the start of the season, but it also somehow feels like I'm the only one that's not that worried about this. Am I crazy I'm not for either. taking no. Joe Musgrove? Okay. I'm not worried. I like here. Here's my take on Musgrove is he might miss a couple starts. He also might not like if he's on the short end of that four to six weeks, he could be, it might be, you know, his first start might only be four innings in the major leagues or something like that. But like he should be back pretty quickly. And then it's not an injury. Like it, it is not to me an injury that I'm worried about recurring. It's not an injury that I'm worried about lingering. Like it'll heal. And once it's healed, he should be good to go. There's a, there's a pain management question. And I hope that he is smart and conservative about like making sure he's actually pain free before he tries to do anything again. But no, I'm not, yeah, I'm not worried. I, I I actually think people are overreacting to what's sort of, I don't know, relatively minor, I guess. Like, I'm just looking at Matt Heckman, who we've had on the show before and is in one of our listener leagues. He took Musgrove, I think in his TGFBI, he says he took him in, in the eighth round, pick 110. And his tweet about it says, he might not even miss a start, likely misses one to two. Most pitchers do that through a season. So I'm more than willing to buy the dip. Like that summarizes it perfectly to me. Like that's, I don't know. People are overreacting. Yeah. 
No, it, it's funny you say that because I looked it up. I didn't get Musgrove quite as late as I did. I got him in that same round as uh, Matt did. I got him in the eighth round. I I just got the I just got the bell notification. I'm actually on the clock right now in TGFBI. <laughs> I've punted catcher, and we are uh, Christian Vasquez just went off the board. And I don't have a catcher yet, so oh, that'll geez. be fun. Um, that's where my mind's at. But yeah, no, I got him in that same round, and I I, I feel pretty good about that. A name I want to throw out there: Seth Lugo is who Roster Resource currently has slated in to at least get a couple of starts. If you remember, Seth Lugo really wanted a rotation spot in his free agency. He's leaving the Mets, and I loved Seth Lugo as a reliever. He's He's been pretty successful. Last season, some, some surface numbers, 62 appearances. He had a 3.60 ERA, 65 innings, 69 strikeouts, and a 1.17 whip. He's a guy who's definitely flashed some talent in the past, although he is 33 years old now. Any interest in Lugo, maybe in your deeper formats, who knows? Maybe he has a couple starts. He looks pretty good, and he takes that rotation spot from somebody else like Michael Waka, who got paid. But I don't know. Are we really expecting him to repeat last season? Yeah, I mean, I, there's a there's a handful of guys in San Diego who I think are interesting late in these kinds of drafts, deeper ones, and and Lugo. From a keeper perspective, like in a keeper league, Lugo might be my last choice of this group because I just don't I don't think there's a ton long term there. Jay Groom is an interesting name to me. Who, who he'll be in the running for that spot or or a spot at at, at some point <laughs> this year, if not right away. And I, I think he's intriguing longer term. Um Adrian Morejon, who's pitched for them both out of the rotation and out of the pen, I think is an interesting name. Like there's a handful of guys that I'm just sort of I don't know, keeping an eye on, I would say more than anything else. So we'll have to see what they do and, and who ends up getting the most work and the most opportunities. But I, I don't know. Those are all, those are all guys I'm sort of watching to see what goes on. It's a good list and it's a good team. So, uh, you know, if you're trying to vulture some wins at the beginning of the season, check out the Padres schedule, see who's filling in for Musgrove and it wouldn't hurt to throw a dark good park to pitch in as well. We are going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some good spring performers so far. And then I promise we will finally get into the super exciting. I'm clearly not pushing it further down the line. Relief pitcher segment. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. The Keep or Cut podcast. I didn't say this earlier, so if we still got you here in the middle of the show, I hope so. Please follow us at, at Keep or Cut. You can follow Chad at, at Chad Young. You can follow me at, at Pete B. Baseball, the show coming out once a week. You're hearing us on Wednesday, but we are recording on Friday, March 3rd, and this is not going to air until Wednesday, March something else. So I really hope uh, that uh, we March don't something have- else. My favorite day of March. Yeah, yeah, the best day of March. I just, I'm saying these injuries right now. God, I hope nothing else happens between now and then, you know, just in case you want to, like, why aren't they talking about the blank injury? Well, we're doing this on Friday night. No, no um, one will get hurt. No one's getting hurt. No one gets hurt in spring training, right? That's, I want never, everyone to hear me knocking on wood. <laughs> I hope you heard that. I'm knocking on wood for Chad. But we're going to get into the good stuff now, not the sad news about the injuries. We're going to get into some just very quickly touch upon a couple names that I thought were interesting sticking out here in the spring. And I get it. I get so tired, Chad. I get so tired of this every single year. 
where it's like so-and-so performs well in spring training. Everybody reminds us that it's only spring training. And then we say this guy's doing well, but then we remind us again. It's like, can we just enjoy that players are playing well? Like, can I just no, have fun with you that? You can't like enjoy that? it. Oh my God. It's so frustrating. It's like, oh really? I had no idea it was spring training. Thank you for reminding me, but let's have some fun here. That's what we do on keeper cut. So We'll get uh, there's four players I listed out. You can see them there in the notes, Chad, that uh, have double digit home runs so far in spring training. I know, crazy double digit home runs. Double, uh, no, I'm sorry. Oh, god, that would be nuts. More than <laughs> like, one. There's four guys with 10 home runs. It's been like a week. It's incredible. It is, it is 11:41 on the east coast, spring, PM. spring training or not. If somebody's yes. got 10 home runs right now, I'm buying. I don't care who it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when I don't care if it's spring training or not. I apologize. 1141 on the East Coast. It was parent-teacher conference week. It's been a long week, so bear with me here. If I say something crazy like that again, it's just, you know, just write it off. But these guys have more than one home run, which, you know, all right, whatever. But they're fun oh. names. The first one, Jared Kelnick. Whoa. He had his third today, didn't he? He did. He's got three. So, uh, I mean, I, there's nothing for me to say. What you, Jared Kelnick, what are we doing here? Uh, buying cautiously, I'll say. I mean, Kelnick, first of all, I know you just went on your whole, like, don't tell me it's spring training. I know it's spring training rant, but like <laughs> he's done this in spring training before. Okay. This yes. isn't just a normal spring training rant. This is like, we've literally seen this movie before with Kelnick and it didn't end well. So don't go overboard and be like, oh, he fixed his swing. Like, cause this, th- here's the narrative around Kelnick right now. The narrative around Kelnick right now is he spent the off season tweaking his swing. He made some changes. They seem to be paying off. The thing about Kelnick is he's always changing his swing. He's, he's been trying and, and, and with good reason, right? I mean, this guy was an elite, elite prospect, and he has looked very not elite in his major league career. It makes sense that he's been trying to tweak his swing. But, like, he's constantly, constantly making changes, trying to find the right thing. Like, and it hasn't, it hasn't happened yet. And, yeah. So, the fact that he has now made a change and it looks like it's working and he's hitting in spring training. Like none of this is stuff that hasn't happened before. So the reason I I call that out is not to say you should stay away. He's obviously, you know, broken forever and not work. Like just don't let yourself get too carried away by this, but he's also a guy who has legitimately elite pedigree. Like, and there's a reason he was such a highly regarded prospect. And I I was a month ago, Kelnick was a guy that I was like, okay, I'd like to pick him up late in auctions for a couple bucks, like see what happens. That's sort of still still where I am now. Maybe instead of saying like, oh, I'd go for one to two bucks. Now, maybe I'm thinking two to three. Like maybe I'd nudge him up a little bit, but I'm not, you know, he's not suddenly a $7 guy for me or a $10 guy for me because like, oh, he got a couple, three spring training home runs. Just we've been here before. The talent is legit. The potential is is great. And the ceiling is still very, very high if you can get things figured out. But I, I'm not taking a few days of spring training power and, and fundamentally changing how I view him. It's definitely the right approach, for sure. I agree. I mean, 
it's easy to forget about the pedigree because of just how bad of a, of a major league baseball player he has been. But there's still so much talent there that it does make him more obviously organically more interesting than other random potential breakouts, breakouts in quotes in spring training. I think one thing that definitely works in Kelnick's favor uh, this time around with a hot spring is that like if you were to sit Jerry DePoto down, I think he'd tell you he's thrilled he got to Oscar Hernandez. I think I'm sure he's happy they were able to get AJ Pollock. But I think he'd tell you that he wished he did more this offseason, particularly for that offense. And so I think they're going to once again give Kelnick every opportunity, which he deserves because of that prospect pedigree, to lock down some consistent ABs with the big league club. So I don't I don't feel like there's anyone breathing down his neck ready to take a job from him. I think he's going to have every opportunity to seize that job. And if he has a hot spring, he should start the season potentially in the opening day lineup, which for as bad as he's been, we got to we got to take that win. Yeah. Yeah. So another more than one home run performer in spring training that definitely jumps off the page is Mr. Chris Bryant. Are we believing it? I said earlier in the show we should put him in a bubble. I took another player that I drafted in TGFBI who I probably won't have in any other of my like 400 leagues, but it I I needed to attack outfield and he was there and I was like, "You know what? Fine. Let's let's take Chris Bryant here." Should I be excited or is it, you know, just are we going to have another injured exciting season from Chris Bryant. I mean, you obviously run the risk of injury. Like that's, that just is what it is. But I think the thing it's, it's sort of funny. Like I was just saying, don't get overly excited about Kelnick because he's not doing anything we haven't seen before. Like he's gone through these hot stretches where he fixes his swing and everything looks great in spring training. And then it all falls apart. I am excited about Bryant for effectively the same reason, which is we've seen this before. We've seen him have a down year and get right again and come back and produce. And so if you look at what he did, you know, 2020, a shortened season, he only played 34 games. He had a 285 Woba. He was coming off a great year in 2019. Everything looked terrible. People were like, you're all this conversation. We're like, oh, he's done, blah, blah. And he came back the next year and put up a 356 Woba, 25 home runs, 144 games played, split between Chicago. And then he got, that was the year he got traded to San Francisco. Then he came back in 2022 and had just a weird year more than anything else. Like his actual overall line in 181 plate appearances is a 370 Woba. Like he hit the ball really well overall, but he also had five home runs and they were all on the road despite having his first season at Coors. Like it was just a weird season for him. But when I look at Brian, it's like this is a guy who has shown he can come back from injury in the past. This is a guy who's shown he can come back from poor performance in the past. And he really wasn't bad last year. Like he performed just fine. He had a he had a 9.4% walk rate. Bryant struck out 14.9% of the time last year. That's a career best for him. Like there were there were really good, really positive signs in the limited time we saw from him. And, and while the batted ball data wasn't great, Bryant still had a 344 X Woba last year. So I'm still in on him. I, the thing I really like is let, let's let's table the injury risk for a moment. I'll come back to it. Let's table the injury risk for a moment. If he is healthy, his floor is so high because of what you can expect him to do at course. 
right? He's going to produce at cores. And even if he's really struggling on the road and you end up having to like bench him on the road a decent amount of the time, you're going to get enough value out of him out of cores that you're just, the floor is pretty high. So then you get to the injury risk because obviously like that's always the big floor risk with any player is like, what if they never play? So he obviously only played 42 games last year. He played 34 games in the, the shortened 2020 season. He really hasn't missed a ton of time other than that. Now, that's, you know, two of the last three years. So, like, let's not let's not pretend that's nothing. But over his career, 151 games, 155, 151, 102 in 2018, then back up to 147 in 2019, then 34 in the shortened season, 144 in 2021, then the 42 last year. Like, yes, he has had injuries, but he's fairly consistently played a lot of games. And so... I feel pretty good about penciling him in for like 60 games at cores and 60 games on the road. And I think he'll do pretty well. Yeah. I'm talking myself more and more and certainly listening to you into Chris Bryant. I think something that also makes me feel better about Bryant is not only that he's in cores, but he has never, ever been a guy to post some crazy exit velocities or crazy barrel rates or anything like that. So it's like when you look at the underlying numbers from last year, the year before, and you're like, oh, wow, it's actually not that exciting. I don't don't see a lot of red on the stat cast or on the pitcher list page. Well, that's okay because he's never been a guy who's really depended on that. There are just some guys in baseball that are just good hitters, and they don't need to have crazy exit velocities to put forward good fantasy seasons. Obviously, Jose Altuve comes to mind. The the current version of Nolan Arenado comes to mind. And I think Chris Bryant can fit that mold as well. So maybe I will draft him in a few more. I'm excited to have at least one share of him in TGFBI. There's two more players. One, we don't really need to say much about. I mean, maybe it's just the Red Sox bias in me, but his ADP is so far down. I mean, this is a guy that's going around like 215, I want to say. And that's Tristan Cassis, who hit his second. I mean, the dude looks awesome. And he's... He was awesome last year and like I, I just he's going to get every day at bats like Bobby Dahlbeck's not really a thing anymore. He's a lefty mashing first baseman with great plate discipline in the middle of the Red Sox lineup, which, you know, that statement used to mean a lot more. It's not as great of a lineup as it used to be, but it could be pretty good if he's good. So are you getting more excited for Tristan Cassis or just like, oh, Cassis has two home runs. OK. I mentioned that I'm in my first ever draft NFBC draft champions draft right now. And in that league, I, this is what I've, I've tweeted about this a couple times. And I was really just sticking with the values on my sheet, trying to be really rigid about that. It resulted in me pushing up catchers quite a bit because they were just, I think probably overvalued on my sheet, to be honest, but that's fine. And it pushed down first baseman. And so I got to the 15th round of that draft and did not have a first baseman. And I took Cassis. And I feel really good about that. And so, you know, 15-teamer, 15th round. This is pick 206-ish. No, 216-ish. I think it's around. I think it was pick 216. So, yeah, I was thrilled to get him there. I think he is... I I really like the skill set he brings. He looks legit. I also like... It's it's sort of a silly thing, but like there, there's a story that's been going on around, like going out about him, about him, like he like sunbathes before the games and takes a nap pregame in the clubhouse, and like he was getting some some guff from some of the veterans about it last year, and like I kind of like that his response to that is like talking about it with the media and laughing, and like this is just stupid. Oh, he's I don't know why total, people care. 
he's a clown. He's going to do so well here, honestly. He is uh Yeah. He's he's very much go with the flow. And and like I I think it's easy to you know, you look at the the strikeout rate near 25% last year in his brief brief taste, 95 plate appearances yeah. in the major leagues and just be like, "Oh, okay, big slow power hitter is going to strike out a lot." He actually was not much of a, a strikeout guy. He he posts many sub 20% strikeout rates throughout the minor leagues. So, he he could be pretty good, and, and I'm getting more and more excited about him. I love where he's going in drafts. I do end up with him in a lot, and I almost never end up with Red Sox in drafts. He is he is particularly in OBP leagues because, like, if he if he walks 10% of the time, that would be shockingly low <laughs> given what he's done in the past. Like, you look at his, his stops in the minor leagues, and he's had three minor league stops of more than 50 plate appearances. And in those three minor league stops, Cassis has walked 11.8% of the time in a ball 14.9% of the time in double a and 14.5% of the time in triple a, like this guy is going to be on base all the time. And then if you let him hit the ball, he can hit for power. Like he's got, you know, he he hasn't put up like a 30 home run season or anything like that, but he's got legitimate power. And I, I think looking at him to be a guy who, let's say, posts a 255-ish average, a 350 to maybe even 360 on base with 20 to 25 home runs in a, in a full season, like that's a that's a pretty good line to get that late in drafts. And when we start talking about keeper leagues, like, Again, especially in OBP leagues, but even in, in traditional five by five, like you can just plug this guy in as your first baseman for the next few years. Oh, for sure. Uh, that's why I waited in the the podcasters league to to go for first base. I said I'm getting Cassis. Uh, maybe five dollars felt like a little. I don't know. I feel like that's actually a pretty good price, and I just slotted him right in at first base. I I'm I'm with you on that one. And honestly, if he plays a full season, like if we're expecting 150 games. I'm, I'm taking the over on 25 homers. I just, I mean, there's, there's so much power in that bat. If he doesn't, it's because he's spending all of his time walking and getting on base yeah. that way, which would still make him valuable. So I'm in on Cassis. And the last name here, Chad, is definitely one that's kind of off the wall. But someone who you and I both like got injured today. I didn't bring him up in the injury segment because I don't think he quite meets that threshold. But that was Nick Gordon, uh, who fan graphs had slotted in, slotted in, I should say, as their DH to start the season. And I mean, that's kind of a weird spot for Nick Gordon, uh, kind of a utility man with a little bit more upside. But he looked he looked to be in pain. I mean, he came off the field pretty gingerly. I'm not even sure what the injury was. I don't know if they even know yet. And apparently Jose Miranda is dealing with some stuff. I think he's got something going on in his wrist or his shoulder, which might force him to DH. And this could open up an opportunity for another player who has more than one home run in spring training. And that's Edouard Julien, who fan graphs gave a raw power grade of 60. So that immediately kind of stuck out to me. He's got a future value of 50. So like, okay, there's maybe a little bit of upside in this player. Last year at double A, 508 plate appearances, 17 homers, 77 RBI. He did have 19 stolen bases. His walk rate was 19.3% and his WRC plus was 144. It's a pretty interesting player. Are you at all interested in like the last round of a draft and hold or something? I mean, like all of a sudden this guy's, you know, I'm getting interested. Niv and I have him rostered in that staff league. He's on our team there. I was about to start an auction for him. (laughs) Nope, not going to happen. We we got him for one buck. He is, so he is only 9.7% rostered across auto new right now. 
in my seven leagues that I'm in, he is rostered in four of them. And two of the three he's not rostered in haven't drafted yet. And I suspect he'll get picked up in those. So in my mind, he has been on my draft board for every auto new auction I've done this year, where at least the ones where he's been a free agent, he's, he was kept in at least one of my leagues and maybe two, but he is, he is on my draft board in, in all my, in any keeper format for sure. In something like, like the, the draft that all I'm doing, or I'm also, I just started an NFBC satellite draft. Like he's, he's later there because I think that he, I think his value may be more long-term, right? So I think if you you start to think about like, where does he fit in? Where does Edward Julien fit in with the twins right now? And it's not super obvious how he fits because like he, he is a second baseman. They have Jorge Polanco there. They have Carlos Correa at short. Neither of those guys are, you know, perfectly healthy at all times. So who knows? They've got Jose Miranda at third base, who I don't think he's going to displace. Again, you got, you know, Kirilov at first and Gallo who struggled in left and Kepler who struggled in right. Like there, there's a bunch of guys who in theory could give way and make room for Julianne. But then you've also got guys like Trevor Larnock, who still needs an opportunity there. And I'm trying to think there were a couple other names. You you know, right now, roster resource, as you mentioned, as Nick Gordon is the DH and, and Buxton in center field. But like they just went out and got Michael Taylor. And I assume they did that because they want to keep Buxton out of center field a decent chunk of the time. They just went out and picked up Donovan Solano, who is not anything special, but is a very useful backup middle infielder type and can can sort of fill that kind of role. They're going to get Royce Lewis back at some point. And so when you start thinking about like, where does Julianne fit in, especially if they really believe in his bat long term, he, he feels like the kind of guy who may not get a shot because they don't have an opportunity to give him regular plate appearances and they don't want to bring him up to sit. And so I'm not like, I'm fine in leagues where you where I feel good about stashing him and it might be most of the year before he really gets a real shot, but I'm not as excited in like a draft and hold type thing where if he never gets a shot, it's just a wasted spot. Like if I can't, if I don't have the potential to keep him, I'm much more cautious with him. That makes sense. More long-term value, more, more look into the future than for this season. They are kind of a crowded team. There's names that you, you dropped there that I'm a little bit more interested on the sleeper side. Definitely Royce Lewis. Not that, I mean, the term sleeper is so ridiculous now because everybody knows every player, but Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov may be leading that list. So we're going to take one more break and then we will finally finally talk relief pitchers. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back, everyone. The Keep or Cut podcast. Pete Ball, Chad Young here, breaking down the news of the spring, both injuries and guys who have not double-digit home runs, but more than one home run. We're really setting the bar here at Keep or Cut. So uh, now that we've gotten that out of the way, we're going to talk relief pitcher. And and because we're a keeper league, you know, Chad and I are going to change our approach to this this year. And it's just what three relievers are we seeming to keep keep drafting? 
each draft. I'm going to kick things off here, Chad, if it's okay with you, because I got one that's going to be very quick. Um, and it's sure. for a simple reason. Rizal Iglesias. For me, Rizal Iglesias is kind of at the end of a tier. And and Ryan Presley's actually going in front of him. And I would actually I, I would switch that. I would I would rather have Rizal Iglesias than Ryan Presley this year. Once Rizal Iglesias, like if you look at the surface numbers from last year, they actually don't look that great. But once he was traded to the Braves, he became maybe the best reliever in baseball. So once he got traded to the Braves, 26 and a third innings pitch, 30 strikeouts, a 0.34 ERA, 1.52 FIP just a 5% walk rate, a less than 5% barrel rate against, and an 18.7% swinging strike rate. So you combine that with the fact that he's the closer on the Braves, which might be the best team in baseball, a lot of opportunities. I just like him. And I say the end of a tier, like, yeah, Helsley, Batista, and Kenley Jansen go after him. I think those guys have some pretty big question marks, some bigger than others, but I feel more safe with Iglesias. So if I have to, if I want to get one really safe close closer on my team, I feel like Iglesias is the last one on the board. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I'm I'm a huge Iglesias fan. I think he's underrated and and has been. And I, honestly, I, I I'm guilty of it. I, I was there was a point I don't know a year or two ago, two years ago, three years ago, something like that, where I was like, yeah, he's fine. Like I don't think he's that great, but like, and I kept I kept waiting for him to sort of fall off, and Iglesias just keeps producing. And like you said, when he went to Atlanta, he got that much better. Atlanta is a like Atlanta is a good, smart, well-run organization. They are they are on that list of teams where the fact that they picked him up is enough to make me higher on him than if some other team had gotten him. And so I'm yeah, I, I have no issue with that. I'm actually, as I'm looking at this NFBC satellite draft that I'm doing and thinking about like Without an overall component, do I actually want to go aggressively after saves or should I just let saves go? And, and you know, it's still Roto, so I got to do something there. But should I just wait till late? And I'm sort of eyeing Iglesias as a guy that like, okay, let's see. You know, if, if he falls to the end of that tier, like I definitely like him more than Presley. It's like if Presley goes and I come up a few picks later and Iglesias is sitting there. I, I could see why you keep ending up with him because I could see ending up with him in that same situation. Yeah, I hate to keep bringing it up, but he is my my closer in TGFBI. I mean, I I just wanted to get it out of the way. Took him, and then a million rounds later, I took Sir Anthony Dominguez. So, you know, hopefully that pans out. Otherwise, that's a yeah. you know fab league. I'll figure it out. So the easy one's out of the way. Chad, give us one of yours. Who are one of your three closers you keep ending up with? So I'm going to start with a guy who's not a closer, but I, you know, I play in a lot of leagues that are either saves and holds, despite your earlier comment about that not being the answer, or a lot of auto new leagues where it's saves and holds, but not just saves and holds. They're not a category or, or four by four where they're not a category at all. And a guy I keep ending up with, and I'm going with him first because he's now hurt and we'll have to see what happens. But Sam Henches of my beloved Cleveland Guardians. Henches is a... A uh, a very large left-handed pitcher. He is 6'6", 245. The Guardians, he was one of these guys that like, there was talk about him being maybe a reliever for a while. And the Guardians just kept trying to keep him in the rotation. And if you go back and look at his minor league numbers, like this was, it was such a like a weird thing as a Guardians fan. Cause like, so 2018, he's in high A, he puts up a 3-2-7 ERA. You know, just over nine strikeouts for nine. Fine. 2019 in double A, he posts a 5.11 ERA with less than a strikeout per inning. 
misses 2020. 2021, he comes back 6.23 ERA in only four to third innings before getting promoted and putting up a 6.68 ERA in 68.2 major league innings. And then they finally sort of moved him full time to the bullpen in 2022. And he went 62 innings, 10.45 K per nine. 2.76 2.76 walks per nine. And Sam Henches had a 2.32 ERA. His FIP was 2.48. XFIP 2.67. Sierra 2.51. I'm, I'm re- reading all those numbers, not because they add more information, but just say like, here's a whole list of things that might, that would point out if something were wrong or lying about that ERA. And they all say it's legit. And I'm a, I'm a fan. I, he's, he had, so last year, in addition to the almost 30% strikeout rate, he had a 61.5% ground ball rate. And I know how you feel about ground ball rates. Yeah. <laughs> so especially for me in those auto new leagues where home runs are such a problem, like he his home run per nine last year was 0.44, 0.44. So I am ending up with Sam Henches in lots of places. Now he is dealing with left shoulder. Now remember, he's a lefty, left shoulder inflammation. He is going to be reevaluated, the team said, on a week-to-week basis. So that's, they haven't given a timeline. This is, but like, when, when the reaction is like, look, we're not really sure yet, and we're going to give it a week before we check again, that's not a great sign. Now, there is a possibility that next week they check it, the inflammation's gone down, and he's like, trying to get himself back in track. I, I am uh, I am bracing myself. This is me trying to be very zen in this moment. I am bracing myself for the very real likelihood that he misses most, if not all, the season. And oh. so from that perspective, you know, go get Sam Henches unless you need pitching this year. Um, but <laughs> if... I, I guess what I'd say this is if you have him now, wait. If you don't have him now, put him on your watch list and pay attention to the news. And as soon as there is a sign that like the team feels good, he's coming back, he'll be ready. He's He is nowhere near saves. He's not going to be near saves. But I do think he'll get some holds. He only had eight last year, but he really played his way into sort of the back end of the bullpen late in the season. And he is sort of the prime lefty in that pen if he's healthy. So I think there will be holds available to him and the rest of the numbers are going to be great. Yeah. I like, I like the call out. Um, you know, even though it could be a little bit, I mean, of a disaster this year, we are a long-term league and he's definitely somebody to keep on the radar. And, you know, also maybe spring training week to week is different from regular season week to week. Maybe if this was the regular season, they'd say, you know, we're going to give him a, we're going to shut him down. We're going to check in in a couple of days, have him throw a bullpen, that kind of deal. It doesn't necessarily mean it would end well, right? It's what Oakland did with Frankie Montas. And we see how that eventually ended up right with the the shoulder injury. So we'll see, but I'll, I'll hold out hope for Sam Henches and, you know, you got your uh, kind of painful pick out of the way, so I'll do the same for me. I've done a lot of drafts so far, and I've ended up with a lot of Dylan Floro, who I do really like. I, I don't understand the hate on Floro. He was going super late before the Matt Barnes and AJ Puck pickups, and I didn't understand that. Now I understand after those two, you know, him him going a little bit later, Floro that is. But since the start of the 2021 season, I mean, yeah, he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. He's less than a strikeout per inning. But 2.91 ERA, 
2.96 FIP. He's another guy who, you know, similar to Henches, but not, not that crazy, not 60% crazy. Keeps the ball on the ground. Doesn't, doesn't give up a lot of home runs. And most importantly, he was going to be getting saves. However, recently, as I, I linked to you a few hours before the show, it looks like the Miami Marlins are going to have a little bit of a committee approach. And I think oftentimes if a team starts with a committee and ends up selecting one player, usually it's because some guy with, you know, strikeouts and just kind of like seized the job. Dylan Flores is not someone who's going to seize the job. If he ends up being the primary closer for the Marlins, it's going to be because Barnes and Puck and Scott were just kind of disasters, which is within, as a Red Sox fan, let me tell you that Matt Barnes being a disaster is well within the realm of possibilities. But if Dylan Floro is in a committee, I could kind of see him getting lost in that committee. He's not a guy who's going to grab the job and say, no, 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 this is mine. Puck, Barnes, they could do that, right? Barnes has done it in the past. So my Floro shares, I feel like with the news of the committee, was a they, they took a little bit of a hit there. I, if I'm really struggling for saves and it's late and all the other safe guys are gone that go really late, like um, Alex Lange, Lang, I might be saying that incorrectly, and and you know Carlos Estevez, who I'm going to talk about in a second, if they're all gone, sure, I'll roll the dice on Dylan Floro. But the committee news is bad news for a player like, like Dylan Floro. Yeah, it it is. Except, and this is this is where I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit of a different direction, which is, and I'm gonna use this also as as my intro to my next guy, who is Jorge Lopez, and Lopez is maybe not in a committee, but it but in a shared job, we'll say, and, and Yuan Duran is going much earlier than Lopez, and. What Schumacher said, because you sent me the quote, then I went and looked at it and sort of what he basically said is we're going to match up guys where, you know, where we need them. We're going to use the guys we need when we need them. That's effectively what the twins are doing with Duran and Lopez. And while, while I agree with you, Lopez, Floro, those guys are not the guys who are so good that they're just going to put their stamp on the ninth inning and own it. They're also not the guy that in the seventh inning, when the manager is sweating a bit and needs an out, like that's not the guy you go to. You are runners on first and second, one out, bottom eight in a one run game. You're going to go get Yohan Duran. You're going to go get Puck if Puck really establishes himself. Like Floro and Lopez, those are the guys you leave back there because you're like, ah. I need a K. I need a K right now. I need I need this out. I need this out this second. Who can I bring in to get that out? And you go to your best guy, which means that the second best guy, the third best guy, that's the guy who gets left to lock down the saves. And this is like, it reminds me of years ago, Cleveland had Bob Wickman as their closer. Do you remember Bob Wickman? How can I Bob forget Wickman? Bob Wickman? Big Bob Wickman. Yeah, dude, dude always looked like he was like on his way to a, a beer league softball game as soon as he just could get just finish off the ninth and let me get to a beer league game. And but uh, Wickman was very rarely, if ever, the best reliever in those bullpens. But by leaving him in the ninth inning, he was out of the way for the better relievers to come in when they were needed. And then he came in for a clean inning, often with a two or three run lead. And like to me, where Floro, and, and this is why Lopez is another guy I keep ending up with, because, like, I'm not a huge Lopez fan. He has been uh, he has been very bad for his career. But last year, his first full season as a closer, the 2.54 ERA, 
I don't know how much I buy that, but the, the ERA estimators are more like mid threes. Mid threes are fine for a closer. Like this is, I think one of the things that people are like, oh, but Duran is so much better. Yeah. Agreed. Which is why you want Duran flexible to come out when you need him. Puck, Barnes, even Tanner Scott, like these guys might be better pitchers than Dylan Floro might be. I'm not, I, that, that bullpen, like Duran is a better pitcher than Jorge Lopez, period. The Marlins bullpen is a little bit more like, I don't know which of these guys are good. Maybe none of them are good. Maybe they're all good. Like who knows? But like, if, if Floro isn't the guy who like establishes himself as the relief ace in that pen, if Lopez isn't the guy who establishes himself as the relief ace in that twins pen, it may actually work to their benefit towards getting saves because the smart thing to do is to put them in the mound in the ninth inning up a couple runs where you can work around whatever damage they allow and to save your better arms, not save your better arms to use your better arms earlier, not save them when when the leverage is higher, when the stakes are higher, and when you need that out. So I, I keep ending up with Jorge Lopez because I think he ends up leading the Twins in saves this year. And I'll let everybody else take you on Duran. And like, I think Duran, I think, I think Duran will get 10 to 15 saves. And I think Lopez will get 25, 20 to 25, 15 to 20 to 25, something in that range. <laughs> but more than Duran, that's what I've said. <laughs> and I feel the I, same way about Floro. And I definitely think it's true in the case of Yuan Duran and Jorge Lopez because Yuan Duran, he might, he might be like a top five reliever in baseball, right? I mean, he's yeah. nasty. And he actually showed a lot last year that he can go multi-innings. I think he serves a purpose well outside of that closes role. Something that makes me think it's more likely to be that way for Minnesota as well is that Yuan Duran is still pre-arbitration. So yes. they don't want him to get saves because – that's going to go against them in arbitration. It makes more sense to have Lopez close. You know, that's kind of tinfoil hat, but we, we've seen that enough in the past with other organizations uh, and and the twins are going to be no exception. So I could totally see that being the case. The reason why I don't think it applies as much to Floro, although I definitely see it and it makes me feel a little bit better about all my shares. Right? I'm not going to go drop them now or anything like that. Number one, the pre-arbitration thing with Yuan Duran, whereas as Puck Barnes and Scott, they're not in similar situations. But number two, Puck Barnes and, and Scott, they're like, they could also just be extremely bad. Like, there's yeah. a situation in which Floro is actually the the uh, the fireman that comes in out of the pen. Like, yeah, he doesn't have the strikeouts, but if if his ERA is sub three, like it's been, those other three, they could all have ERAs over five. In which case, Floro is kind of used in that role. I think yeah. it's more likely Floro's used in that role than Lopez is. But I love the logic, and and that totally makes sense. Um, and it definitely makes me view that Minnesota situation in a particular way. Um, I'm also curious on, on Schumacher. Does he have a history of using committees? Because he, uh, he strikes me as the kind of manager who says he's using a committee and then like gives the first save sl- shot to Floro and Floro gets it. And then he's like, okay, that's my closer. And he just keeps going into him until he loses the job. And he calls it a committee and it's never, you never really know, but Floro is just the one who keeps getting the chances. So well, we'll see. I mean, it's his, we'll it's his first year on the job, but like I looking at the, the teams he's been with in the past, there's like no indicator, right? Because the Cardinals yeah. jump back and forth in 2022. I mean, all the different guys getting saves there. And then with the Padres, though, they're kind of the opposite. He, they, mm-hmm. They've always had a set closer going all the way back to like, you know, Trevor Hoffman, it feels like. Right. Um, actually, literally. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, my last guy is Carlos Estevez, who uh, I understand why people aren't quite as high on him as I am. His numbers just aren't that great. Like even outside of cores, they're they're not that amazing. But a couple things keep me interested in him. First of all, the ADP is 345. Now, since the GM's comments, you know, the uh, GM of the Angels name escaping me express, expressed optimism that Carlos Estevez would be the closer. Now, that makes sense, right? Because he went out and signed him. But he did say, you know, it's up to the manager to pick the closer. He just kind of expressed some optimism that it's going to be Carlos Estevez. So number one, that gets me excited. I think since those comments, his ADP is I'm, I'm almost assuredly gone up to make him a little bit more expensive. But whatever the case, his ADP is really late. He's had a really bad spring so far, but the the manager kind of poured some cold water on that. So Sam Bloom on Twitter, Sam is the Angels beat writer for The Athletic. So he tweeted, Estevez was pulled after walking another batter. He has six walks in two-thirds of an inning this spring. It's the first two games of spring. Wouldn't read too much into it. See what happens moving forward. He's not known for having major control issues. He tweeted out two hours later regarding Carlos Estevez's control issues in spring. Manager Phil Nevin said he's not concerned. They're trying to get him to throw up in the zone more, and that's where he was missing. So that's why spring training stats, to go back to my rant about, like, it's just spring training. Well, like, yes, it is just spring training, and sometimes pitchers specifically are just trying to work on new things, and that seems to be the case with Estevez. So we got a reason for the spring training woes. We have optimism that he's going to be the closer. And away from cores, 1.09 whip last year, nearly a 30% strikeout rate. The FIP wasn't amazing at three and a half, but like we just said, three and a half is fine for a closer, especially one of these late guys that you're not really depending on for their peripherals. And he seemed to have some poor BABIP and strand rate luck to boot. The Angels should be a pretty good team this year. If he is a guy with the job, I could see him having a surprise 30 save season, and that's super valuable where he's going. Yeah, I think so. The, the Angels GM is uh, Perry Manassian. Manassian? I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it. But I, here, here's my my concern with him is not with Manassian, with Estevez. Uh, it, it's sort of a couple of things related to each other. One is the quote from Manassian was like, well, it's up to the manager, but I sort of like I hope that Estevez gets the job. That to me is already like a weird quote. And it's a weird quote in an organization where expectations are pretty high. Things have not gone well. And I I could very easily see, like, I could very easily see a situation starting to develop where if Estevez is not good, they make a change because the manager wants to have his guy in place because if he's going to go down and everybody in that team might be going down, he's going to go down with his guys. Yeah, Yeah. I guess so. (laughs) So like, it just seems like, like it feels like it could be a shaky situation. And while I hear what you're saying about like, Oh, he's missing up because we told like, okay, yes, they're, they have him working on something and he's struggling with it. But like, they need him to work on something and Estevez is struggling with it. Right. So like the other angle on that is they they've asked him to fix something and he can't, at least not yet. So I'm just where he's going in drafts right now, like his ADP right now is, is fine. But as it's starting to get higher earlier, this is starting to get earlier. I'm backing off of him. And so I can totally understand why over the last few weeks you've ended up with him a bunch. I feel like in the next few weeks, there's a very good chance I don't end up with him at all because I think that people have 
overcorrected based on a somewhat offhand comment by the GM. And he's not a guy like he he doesn't have a track record of being a particularly effective closer. Like I just, I don't know. I I'm if it feels like he is on very shaky ground and I just, I don't know. Let's see how the rest of spring goes, right? If they start, if, if they, if they, he starts to fix those pitches up in the zone and like the stuff they want him to work on gets better. Okay. Okay. But I'm sort of, the cost needs to stay down. If the cost rises too much, you know, then I'm out. Yeah, I totally get the hesitation. There's also Jimmy Hergett there, right? Who, unlike yeah. in, in Dylan Floro's situation where like Barnes, Puck, and Scott are, you know, like, eh. Well, Hergett was successful in the role, right? Like, he, he was okay. So they have every reason to, if they wanted to, if they were concerned about Estevez, start the season with Hergett and just ride it out. And, you know, you brought up how high expectations are for the Angels. They kind of seem like the team that could end up trading for a closer sooner rather than later if they feel like they don't have an answer because there is so much pressure there. So uh, I, I would say no job there is safe no matter what. But uh, for now, I've got a lot of Estevez shares. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if that lasts even a week into the season. Chad, who is your last reliever you keep ending up with? Yeah, so the last guy I keep ending up with, and this might actually be my, might be my favorite of the three, is Scott Barlow of the Royals. So... Barlow, I know the Royals went out and got Eraldis Chapman. Chapman has yet to pitch in spring, I believe, because he fell and split his lip and chipped a tooth or something. Like some sort of weird thing happened. Chapman, I think it is also worth remembering, was very, very bad last year. Not like, oh, he's not the guy we're used to seeing. His ERA has risen up to like three and he's not striking. Like His strikeout per nine dropped to 10.65. His walk per nine. Do you know what, you know what Rawls Chapman's walks per nine was last year? I'm going to guess over five. Uh, well, yes, it is over five. It's okay. also That's... over six. It's almost over. Almost over seven, 6.94 walks per nine. Like, is that good? I, I, <laughs> it depends. If you're trying to walk a lot of guys, then yes, it's great. <laughs> so like, I, I don't, I get why people are like, oh, they brought in Chapman and like, they're obviously bringing him in to close and then they can trade him away or whatever they're going to like. Chapman was terrible last year. I like, I, I, I don't know how to express this other than to say, I think Chapman should be. Now, the Royals, who knows what they're doing? A well-run team, Chapman is closer to being a DFA than he is to the ninth inning. He was he was bad last year. and I mean, he I essentially got DFA'd by the Yankees. He didn't. Right. But he basically did. Especially basically. at the end there where he pissed off Boone and, and everything else. Yeah. So, and that's the other thing with Chapman is you have no idea at what point he's going to become a problem beyond the fact that he's a problem because he's on your roster and he's a bad pitcher. Like <laughs> that's an issue already. So there's just, there's layers of issues with Chapman. Meanwhile, Scott Barlow, 16 saves in 2021, 24 saves last year over those two seasons combined. So the last two years, he's thrown 148.2 innings. He is striking out 
per nine, which, you know, Chapman strikes out a bunch of guys. That's basically where Chapman's been. He hasn't been better than that. Um, I mean, he has been historically in his career. He hasn't been last year. He is walking 3.03 per nine innings, which is not a great number, but it was only 2.66 last year. He's he's moving the right direction with that. And that 3.03 over two years is less than half of what Araldis Chapman was walking last year. Like Barlow has a 2.30 ERA over the last two seasons. The FIP and XFIP are a little bit higher, 3.13, 3.51. There is some risk there. Part of what keeps his ERA below his XFIP, though, is that he pitches in Kansas City, which is a very non-power-friendly park, which means home run for fly ball rates get suppressed. So there's reason to believe he can keep beating that XFIP. Like, he's a good pitcher. He's a good closer. He belong like, there's no reason to displace him from the closer role that he held down quite effectively last year. And, like, I, I think people are looking at the name Araldis Chapman and being like, oh, they brought in Chapman. Barlow's job is in trouble. Instead of looking at what Chapman is, which is a bad pitcher. <laughs> he just, if I told you like, oh, this team with an established, very good closer brought in a pitcher who walks almost seven per nine and had an ERA of about four and a half last year, you wouldn't be like, whoa, closer's going to lose his job. So I, right now, I'm just like, I, I just keep taking it. Like, let people... I'm letting him fall. He falls to me. I pick him up. I'm very happy with him. If I'm looking now, I was trying to see where he's going. Look at NFBC ADP. I'm trying to find him. His ADP is 117.71. To give you some context for that, he's going after Daniel Bard, who I, you know, you still run into the cores issue with Daniel Bard, so fine. He's going after Clay Holmes, who lost his job last year and struggled late. He's going after uh, David Bednar, who I really like, but had some issues last year as well. That's basically the group he's going after. That is, again, to your point about Iglesias, sort of the end of a tier. It's not that I think he's significantly better than those guys or other than Bard. Maybe he's not better than any of them, although I would take him before Holmes as well, I think. But after him... You get Yuan Duran, who I already mentioned, I don't think is the primary closer. You get Alexis Diaz, who might be the closer, but there's a lot of question marks around him, both from a performance and a role standpoint. Andres Munoz is going in sort of that next group. Paul Sewald going in the next group. So all of a sudden you get into a bunch of like timeshares, guys with questions, guys I'm not sure about, and I feel pretty good about Barlow holding that job. I don't think Chapman's taking it from him. And if Chapman tries to take it, I don't think he's going to hold it very long. It's funny because I chose Dylan Floral for this exercise. And for a while before Chapman signed with the Royals, I was worried Chapman was going to sign with Miami and threaten Floro. And had that happened and this, you know, series of events unfolded where they didn't go get puck in Barnes and instead went with Chapman. I think I would have been saying the same exact things about Chapman versus Floro that you just did for Chapman versus Barlow. And Barlow's a much better closer than than Dylan Floro. So I'm I'm with you on feeling like Floro's pretty safe. Or I'm, I'm sorry, Barlow's pretty safe and kind of taking taking any kind of discount I'm going to get on Barlow on that end um and letting people draft well, Chapman late because it's almost a waste of a pick. One other one other note on Barlow. And it, it's a it's a small ish, small ish thing. 
He was sixth in the majors in relief innings last year at 74 and a third. He also threw 74 and a third innings in 2021. So he is a guy who, in addition to giving you good rates, in addition to, I believe, holding that closer role, is going to throw you more innings than most relievers. There are very few relievers who I feel better about pushing that 75 inning mark than him. And that, that could come up huge. So I, th- I think if anything, folks, particularly for your long-term leagues, the vibe you should be getting from Chad and I is that uh, we're not big spenders on relievers in not new, unless it's, it's five by five old school, you know, Roto. I, I, like we talked about weeks ago, $21 on Jordan Romano, but we do have targets that we like that you should be able to get pretty cheap without sinking a lot of cost and keeper cost, especially into your relievers. We actually gave somebody some advice today, our longtime listener asking about uh, basically four different closers he had there. It was like Peter Fairbanks. I remember he was there and a couple of other names and you and I were on the same page. Eh, don't need to even spend a last round keeper value on him because you can always find relievers. It was Kevin Conlon at Kevin Conlon 12. Yeah. And he, he was asking eight keepers. He gave us a whole list. It's a 12 team head to head league. So there there are a couple of things that piled up against relievers here. And this is probably, it's worth talking about from a relief standpoint. It's, it's head to head. And you and I have talked in the past about how easy it is to punt saves and head to head. It's also a six by six, which means that saves rather than being 20% of your pitching are 16.6% of your pitching, which is smaller than 20%. There we go. That's our math lesson for the episode. 16.6 is smaller than 20. And so it's even more easier to to punt saves in that case. And so, yeah, when we looked at his team, I mean, he had, I'm trying to see the full list of names here. Let's see. He had a last round pick for Felix Bautista, a last round pick for Helsley, a last round pick for Andres Munoz, a last round pick for Fairbanks. There's all four of them on a last round pick. He also had, I thought he had another reliever in there, but maybe I maybe not. Anyways, regardless, both of us were on the same page that like he had other good, you know, if you don't have, if you're in that situation and you don't have other good keepers, fine. Keep the closers, win saves. Great. Like those guys are all worth that last round pick for sure. But given that he had other good options in a keeper league, forget it. Keep the guys who have long-term value. Keep the guys who are, who are doing more for you than pitching one inning? Hundred percent. Um, I, I, we're in lockstep on that. I'm not. I'm not spending a keeper price on closures. I have a similarly priced Helsley in a league that actually counts strikeouts per nine. Right, last round pick for Helsley strikeouts. I'm still not keeping him. I just have better options, younger players, more impactful players. So that's that's it's all we're going to give you on relievers for a long time now, uh, unless we get questions for a future mailbag episode. But uh, we're already, you know, an hour and 23 minutes into this. I think we're going to put a pin in it there. A reminder to follow us at at Keeper Cut. Follow Chad at at Chad Young. You can follow me at at Pete B. Baseball. Please give us an Apple review. We love to read those. Um, And if you have questions, continue to send them our way on Twitter. um, And we'll get to your questions on the show. Weekly programming every Wednesday. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,